Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Covent Garden service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Taking from Proverbs 6, verse 6 to 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. Please join me, welcome last to the front as he kicks off our series of Proverbs. Good afternoon. Oh, hello. <laughs> Thank you. You are there, <laughs> alive, breathing. Good. It's really a pleasure to be the one opening this series on the Proverbs that we're going to focus on throughout this next term. And um, it is a bit different, isn't it? I don't know if you noticed when we heard the text here, starting to be greeted as a sluggard. Hello, you sluggards. And for those of you who are internationals like myself, it's one of the new words, isn't it? Uh, at least I had to look it up when I bounced into that word. And uh, it actually means a habitually lazy person. How about that? You slug at you. And uh, I guess the good news is that none of us is probably just sluggards. And I guess the, the, the worrying news is that maybe partially all of us is to some degree sluggards in certain areas of our lives. Well, we are about to find out. Uh, <laughs> are you worried now? <laughs> you should be. <laughs> so one way of looking at this book of Proverbs, which is an amazing book, um, one of my favorite books in the Bible. I had a couple of years early on in my life where I read this book over and over again. So it's kind of in my backbone. And some of these sentences, sharp, precise sentences, have been guiding me throughout life. And some of this I'm going to share throughout this talk today. But it is a bit different, isn't it, from the other things that we would normally read in, in the Bible, this book of the Proverbs. Um, and one thought that came to my mind while while I was preparing this, that is that it's a bit like being uh, at your GP and having a, a big kind of checkup. And I have found out that the GPs here in the UK, they are quite gentle and friendly and civilized. But where I come from, Denmark, they are a bit more rough going, the GPs. So when you have this general checkup, they kind of poke you different places in your body. And, and, and you find out about places that you didn't know exist. Uh, and... And then after you have screamed a loud scream in pain, they ask you, did it hurt when I did this? And then they do it again. And then they ask again, are you sure that it hurt when I'm, hurts when I'm doing this? And then they do it again. Take care if you are planning to go to Denmark. It's a dangerous place. Um, so the Proverbs can be a bit like this, almost like a poking test where we hear these very sharp sentences. And uh, if we feel 
a bit of pain when we hear these sentences. It may be because there is an area in our lives that we need to be more aware of. Something that needs to be done for us to live life fully and to flourish as we were meant to. What we need to bear in mind when we go through the book of Proverbs is that we have two voices speaking out to us. We have the voice of wisdom, which is a beautiful voice. It's a voice that has only one purpose with us, and that is to lead us to a place of peace. In Hebrew, it's the word shalom, which means to be whole. And this is to find peace with ourselves, peace with God, and peace with other people as well. And that is a wonderful place to be. Have you ever tried it? To be in a place where you are kind of, ah, right now, in this very moment, I feel at peace with God. I feel at peace with myself. And I feel at peace with other people. It is an amazing place to be. This is where truly happiness really exists. And this is where we really flourish as human beings. And the whole purpose of this wisdom calling out to us in the book of Proverbs is to lead us to that exact place. It is like Jesus said it, who is the physical manifestation of all the wisdom that we find in the book of Proverbs. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That is the purpose. So if you feel a little bit of pain, well, just be rest assured that it's about leading us to a good place, a place of restoration, a place of peace. That is the whole point of it. But there's also another voice being described in the book of Proverbs, and that is the voice of folly. And it's like we have the, these two voices competing in our lives. So the voice of wisdom will lead us to peace, but the voice of folly will lead us to a complete different place. And in this text that we have heard today, the ant is representing the voice of wisdom and the sluggard is representing the voice of folly. So, are you ready from, for some poke testing today? Well, whether you are ready or not, we have locked the doors. <laughs> Actually, someone closed the doors. Uh, so, we are simply going through it and we will see what happens. Um, so, I was actually reminded, uh, thinking about it this afternoon between services, about a film I saw once called uh, Sliding Doors. Have you seen that movie? It's kind of an interesting one, isn't it? That I don't fully recall it, but it's like, what, if she missed the door or something like that, destiny would take her one direction, and she, if she did, it, did another turn, it would take her in a completely different direction. And it's a bit like the same thing that this book of Proverbs does to us. It says, if you follow the voice of wisdom, this is where it will lead you. If you follow the voice of folly, or if you follow the sluggard, this is where it will take you. So what does Proverbs says about the fate of the sluggards? Well, it says that, Diligent hands will rule, but laziness leads to slavery. It's a pretty, um, it's a pretty frightening destiny, isn't it? Slavery. And this, of course, back in those times for the reader of the, these Proverbs back then, they would think about money. It would be very tangible, the whole perception of this. 
And of course, it was a different society back then. If you didn't earn your keep, if you took up debt and you wouldn't be able to pay it back, you would eventually end up in slavery. And potentially, your family would follow you. Uh, and of course, fortunately, <laughs> we live in a different culture under different circumstances. But I think many of us, we would know that if we are lazy with money, if we spend money that we don't have, if we take up too much debt, we end up in a debt spiral. And at one point, it's no longer us controlling the debt, but it's actually the debt controlling us and our lives. I read a survey that came out last week which states that 8.3 million people here in the UK have what they call problematic debt. 8.3 million people. That's a huge number, isn't it? And the same survey said that 22% of the adult population have less than 100 pounds in savings. I was quite shocked at those numbers. They talk about a huge challenge in our society. So many people are being hurt by this individually. So much depression, so much family breakup comes out of this. And there's a huge burden, burden on the whole society because of these things. So... A very immediately but rather important takeaway from this text is let's not be lazy with money. And here comes the first poking test, if you're ready for it. Five quick pokes about the whole subject of money. And this is a mixture of biblical advice on the matter and relevant interpretation. So the question is, what does it mean not to be lazy with money? And here comes the five pokes. Number one, only spend money that you have. Quite simple, isn't it? Number two, only take up loan to buy something of greater value, which would typically be an education or a property, something which has a good chance of keeping or increasing its value. And I'm really sorry to say that the latest fashion in whatever or the tempting travel to wherever usually wouldn't qualify this advice. Sorry to say. Number three, instead of using credit from the bank, start to save enough to have your own credit. Sorry, you banking people here. <laughs> I'm messing up with your business. But this is quite an important advice. I received it early on in my life when I had to start making a budget, which was really a scary business. And I took up this ad advice. And sometimes we really had to struggle to do this. But I found it to be one of the best financial decisions of my life to have my own line of credit. That has really worked. Number four, tithe which is a biblical principle talking about giving 10% of our income. Why? Well, God seems to think that it's a good idea. Jesus refers to it as something we should do. And other than the promise of blessing connected to tithing, I believe that it teaches us a discipline which is really important for the way that we steward our financial resources. We never spend it all. We give to something which is greater than ourselves. And in some way, it simply gives us a sense of leverage or breathing room, if you could put it like this. I bumped into a quote of a quote from Pete Gregg's excellent book called Dirty Glory. 
And he speaks about an apparently legendary record producer, Quincy Jones. It seems that I'm the only one in the world who doesn't know who this guy is. You know who he is too. I am shamed out in all the services today. Well, I, haven't, I had no idea who he was. But he said something brilliant. He said, when making music, you've got to leave space for God to walk through the room. When making music, you've got to make space for God to walk through the room. Immediately when I read that quote, I wasn't thinking about making music for good reasons. Uh, but I was thinking about the area of finance because this is exactly how I have experienced practicing tithing in my life. It has simply allowed room for God to walk through my financial room. And there are many, many, many stories connected to that whole narrative. This is simply what tithing does to our finance. And it's a very simple principle. And yet I know it can be a hard decision to start doing that. It was quite easy for me because I started at the age of six. And I had less than one pound in pocket money. So it was kind of an easy beginning. And I feel quite fortunate that I learned it by then. And honestly, some of you are students. And some of you might be tempted to think, well... The day when I kind of, when it flow in with millions of pounds and all of that, that's the day when I'm going to start thinking about this. Let me give you some really good advice. Start now. It's way easier to start now when you have little than to do it when you start earning the big sums of money. That's simply how it is. So take it step by step. Many of us would need to do that. But start on that journey. It makes a huge difference in your finances. Last Poke or poking? Last poking. Uh, in this area, keep having your security with God. Don't be lazy and exchange it with having your security in your bank account or in your pension fund or in your investments on the side or whatever it is. Personally, this has been my most recent combat in the area of money. When we started the steps course in the spring, uh, I, I prayed about uh, and reflected on what I was supposed to work on. If there was a particular area in my life that I needed to look at. And of course, my wife had a list of suggestions to me, uh, but, <laughs> but I was kind of thinking, well, maybe there are other things. <laughs> and, and I don't know if it was a sentence in the book or what it was that reminded me that somehow I had allowed an excessive need for financial security to kind of creep into my thinking and into my emotional life. And of course, there's a long story behind that. I'm not going to bother you with it, but that was simply how it was. And I could see that it had started to overshadow other areas of my life. It was threatening my quality of life. And I knew something had to be done about that. So throughout the spring, I was sitting with my steps group and every Tuesday night, I think it was, I was sitting there saying, so my name is Lars and I'm working on my excessive need for financial security. This was my way of simply working through that area and getting it into place again. I believe this area is such a huge area. It preoccupies a lot of our emotional capacity, our thinking capacity. It's all around us in society. There's no way around that. It's just an important area. And I think most of us need from time to 
time to, to be refreshed in the principles, the good, healthy principles in how do we steward our life in this area. So when it comes to finances, don't be a sluggard. Um, not uh, if you have all the money in the world, if you have none and all, not a, none and all. It goes for all of us. We need to be aware of this area. Now let's look at the way of the ant and see how that helps us to steward other areas of our lives as well. Um, so I don't know when you last observed an ant. I have to admit it's not one of the big hobbies of mine, so I don't even recall when I did it myself. But of course I have been a bit aware lately when I prepared for this sermon. And I realized that it's been a while since I have seen an ant lying around in a comfortable chair enjoying a quiet drink. It's quite a while, actually. Not that that is a bad thing. Once in a while, we really need to do that. But that's not really what we learn from the ant. We learn that we need to work hard. In Proverbs, it says that hard work leads to profit, whereas mere talk leads to poverty. It is as simple as this, that in any area of life where we want to flourish, where we want to see things uh, profit, hard work is required. This is true of our professional uh, life. It's true of our relationship with others and our relationship with God and our relationship with ourselves even. I don't know if you have noticed. I believe I have noticed that life rarely just happens. Quite often it is almost like it's the opposite. That life somehow have a tendency to mishappen, if you can put it like this. I'm not sure it's an English word, but you know what I mean. That life turns out to be way more complicated than we hoped for. And we know that we really need to work quite hard in the different areas of our lives to make it right. So it's good to have dreams. It's good to share them with others. It's good to have ambitions of wanting to redeem whatever potential we have. But while we are dreaming and while we are talking, we do need to do the hard work as well. Now, working hard can be a bit of a difficult concept to grasp. Because I have seen people working hard in the, in the sense that they have been early at work in the morning and they had worked till late in the evening. And honestly, sometimes it has been a foolish thing to do, an unbalanced life. So we need maybe to work on a different concept, which would be to work well. How do we work well? Work is required, but how do we work well? Well, what do we learn from the ant? It is said of the ant that it has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer. What does that mean? Well, it means that the ant has some kind of internal motivation going on that leads it to do the right thing. And this is really an important part of working well, to be motivated. There's a lot of research in this area, and the research is kind of conclusive. When we are motivated, we thrive, and when we thrive, we produce well, we work well. It is as simple as that. 
There are two American psychologists, DC and Ryan, and they have done a lot of research into this area. It's kind of their life work. And it's called the self-determination theory, SDT, what they have developed. And it's kind of a big thing. And their research has concluded that there are three things that are needed for us to thrive. There are three things that are decisive when it comes to uh, for us to be motivated, which will lead us to our next poking test. So be ready. Number one, they say that we need to be sufficiently challenged. So think about any kind of work that you do professionally or voluntarily work. We need to be sufficiently challenged. Not too challenged so we feel like we don't have the competence to carry out this task because that leads us to depression, actually. Not to be under-challenged either because that leads us to boredom and a sense of losing quality of life. We need to be sufficiently challenged. Number two, they say we need to have a sense of influence. Ideally, influence of what we actually are, do, are doing or if we can't have that, to how we are doing the things that we are doing. And they would say that it's better to have a job paying less with more influence than the opposite. So it's actually quite an important area. Number three, they say we need to feel that we are being seen and that we are being appreciated by a significant other. Someone needs to see me and give, give me feedback. Someone that I feel is an important person in my life. So working well Part of that is really to look at the level of motivation going on in my life and do whatever I can to steward that in the best way as possible in my life. So here comes the poking test. Are you ready for it? Three important questions. Am I sufficiently challenged in the work that I'm doing? Number two, am I having sufficient Influence in the work that I'm doing. Number three, am I being sufficiently acknowledged by a significant other? And when you have answered, answered those three questions, there may be two more important questions to ask. <laughs> Sorry, I'm bombarding you with questions today. So, and those would be, what are the things that I can do something about? Because honestly, some of us would be thinking, I don't have a choice about these things. And you may be right. There may be a lot of these things where we don't have a choice at all. Therefore, it's important for us to ask the question, what are the things that I can do something about? And what are the things that I simply need to leave with God in prayer? These kind of questions can really, really help us. Another lesson from the end. Are you ready for it? Here it comes. The ant prepares for the next season. The principle behind this is that the ant knows to do the right thing at the right time. And this is a thing that goes way beyond the personal level, way beyond our individual lives. In a family, we would need to ask ourselves the question, um, what is it time for? What is the season that we have now? And in this season, what do we need to do? 
at the mayor's office, we would hope that they would be asking these questions. What kind of season do we have right, right now, and what is it time for? At any given company, hopefully, they would be asking this question. What kind of time do we have now in this company, and what is it time for? And we would hope that the government would ask themselves the very same questions. This is a theme going throughout the Bible, and in the Old Testament, we hear about one of the Israelite uh, tribes, the Issacharites, and it's said of them that they understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. From her church history, we know about the desert fathers and the desert mothers from the third century who were kind of spearheading a spiritual revival which was really strong. And they were very acquainted with the spiritual gifts that we read about in the Bible, the gift of healing, the gift, gift of word of knowledge, the gift of prophecy, and all of these things. But the gift that they were asking for the most or praying for the most was the gift of discernment. I was surprised when I read that. But then came the exp explanation. They found that that was the most crucial gift for them to aspire to, not only for themselves, but also for the people that they were serving, to know what kind of time do we have, what kind of season do we have, and what is it time for right now? So as a result, rulers and kings, they traveled miles into the desert to seek audience with these desert fathers and desert mothers to hear their advice on what time do we have now? What is it time for? In the book of Ecclesiastes, it's put very beautifully. It says like this, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. So here comes the poking test. Ready? What time, what kind of time do you have right now in your life? What kind of season do you have right now? That is the first question. And depending on the answer to that question, what is it time for? What kind of action is needed with the time that you have right now? I believe that it's always time for something in our lives. And we need the wisdom to figure out what that is. And here comes the last lesson from the ants. When we observe the ants, we see that they are persistent. They persevere. They do the opposite of what the sluggards are doing. In Proverbs 22, verse 13, it says that the sluggards, the sluggard makes excuses not to go outside. There's a lion in the streets, he says. Well, to me, that sounds like a pretty good excuse. I think I would stay indoors as well, wouldn't you? Well, if you think about the society back then, as one of the commentators puts it, he said it like this, well, if there is a lion in the street, the children are in danger. 
And it would be the responsibility of every male person to get out there and hunt down the lion. But no matter that interpretation, the feeling of the worst is that, really? Is there a lion out there? It sounds more like a convenient excuse. The ant does the opposite of the sluggard who turns around on his bed for another nap. Or, as it probably would be in our culture and day, constant turning around to look for the next opportunity to be entertained or the next fix or the next diversion, the next thing that can avoid me to really feel and look and observe and acknowledge what is going on in my life. Have you noticed it is so easy for us to get into those kind of habits? If that's you, I really get you. I don't know how many times I have felt that temptation in my own life. When things are going on on the inside, when I know something isn't right but I don't know what to do about it, well, then instead of facing it, it's so easy to fall into the temptation of turning around to the next thing that can kind of divert me and preoccupy my thoughts. And the kind of society we live in today hasn't made it easier for us. There's so many ways of doing that. The diversion industry is one of the biggest industries in our world today. And it simply feeds on us having the need to be diverted. Have you ever thought about that? That's what it feeds on. The ant or the voice of wisdom leads us in a completely different direction. Full of hope, full of hope for the future, full of hope in God, full of hope in us. It actually leads us to a place where we dare face ourselves instead of turning our faces away. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul simply states it like this. He says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up, if we are persistent, if we persevere. So in the good things that we are doing right now, what are we looking for? Are we looking for excuses to quit? Or are we looking for reasons to carry on? So here comes the final poking test for today. <laughs> Some of you will be relieved, I know. What are we looking for in our work or in our studies? Excuses to quit or reasons to carry on? What are we looking for in our relationships? Excuses to quit or reasons to carry on? And honestly, what are we looking for in this life? This life that sometimes can be quite complicated and sometimes can feel quite dark. Are we looking for excuses to quit or reasons to carry on? And I have a sense that there's maybe one here today where for you it's actually about life. And for you, you have leaned towards reasons to quit. And I just have a sense that God is speaking directly to you today. And he simply says, don't give in. 
don't give in to those thoughts. Don't give in to those emotions. He has created you for life and he will not let you down. Now, this working well business, how does that apply to Jesus? He's the sum of all wisdom. He's the physical manifestation of it all. Well, in his life, we see that he was motivated. He was aware of his time. He persevered. He was all of that. And yet we also see a, a deeper level in the life of Jesus when it comes to working well. All of that was actually resting on a deeper foundation. And I think Jesus reveals it when he says this in John chapter 5. He says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And again, a few verses later, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and on it goes. So in other words, Jesus says, I do and speak as I see and hear my Father. So as a son of man, he had stripped himself of the powers of divinity and he worked in the shadow of his heavenly Father. He says, my Father is, is working, therefore I am at work. Now this is really the essence of working well. This is the foundation are working well, to work in the shadow of him who is so much stronger and so much wiser than we are. In Psalm 127, it says, it says like this, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. This is a deeper level of working well. To work or to live in the shadow of him who has gone before us. Now the question is, how do we do that? Well, we do it by trusting in his work. By trusting that Jesus truly came, that he truly took upon him to carry the burden of guilt and shame and to bring forgiveness, reconciliation and peace to us. And to choose to trust that he has done this sufficiently. To choose to trust that when Jesus on the cross said that it is done, that that is really true. He said it is done. And so it was. And I know that some of us can feel quite distant from this at this moment. But I truly believe that we are no further away than a simple prayer. And the simple prayer goes like this, Jesus help me and Jesus forgive me. That's enough. And we are right there in the shadow of all the things that he did in our place. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says that the work that remains for us is to enter his rest. It goes like this, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. If you will come up now, John. Now when we have found that rest, it will direct all the other kinds of work we do in this life. 
We work well, not on fear of failure. We work well, not on the distress of guilt. We work well, not on constant self-criticism. We work well, and we live well on the foundation of this kind of rest. Resting in the work that he did in our place. Resting in the truth and in the trust that he not only loves us, but he actually likes us. Now, how do you land a talk like this? So many questions. So many poking tests. So many things that we have mentioned. For me, the right way to land it is to realize how powerless I can experience myself in this life. Sometimes when I read the book of Proverbs, it's like, ouch, oh, ouch. And I realize I am so powerless in so many of these areas. It's not enough to become aware, and quite a few of us would know that. It's not enough for us to have the theory in place. We know that. We need more than that. All of us know that as soon as we leave this door, well, as soon as we leave the pop afterwards, <laughs> there are many complications waiting for us. Many things that we find quite difficult to handle. So the only way that I know to end this, to land it, is to say, we really need the Holy Spirit. To live well in this world, to see all these principles come true, to find the power of decision, to find help in motivating myself and receive the motivation of God in this life, to persevere in the good things, to find the rest and the peace in the work that Jesus Christ has done, I need the Holy Spirit. I think we need the Holy Spirit. So why don't we stand and pray that prayer? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here with us today. Thank you that you are honoring the Father by revealing the good heart of the Father who loves us more than words can describe and who reaches out for us and he rejoices in our attempts. Thank you, Father, that you are here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you reveal Jesus to us as our Savior, the one who took our place and prepared a way for us so we can find peace in this life. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here revealing your true nature, that you are the one who won't leave us, won't forsake us, but who comes to our side to bring rescue and aid in the time of need, who comes to help us in our sense of powerlessness. And Holy Spirit, with the ones who feel powerless today, I stand with them today and cry out to you, Holy Spirit, come. Come upon our lives today, Holy Spirit. Renew us in faith. Renew us in trust in what Jesus has done. For those of us who have been on the brink and giving up in different areas of our life, Holy Spirit, thank you for coming in this very moment and breathe new life into us. Breathe new hope into us. Holy Spirit, I thank you. For those of us who long for new life, for those of us who long for forgiveness, for those of us who long to connect with the work of Jesus Christ to find new life, Holy Spirit, thank you for coming upon us right now and creating new life in us. 
We thank you, we love you, and we adore you. Come, Holy Spirit.